Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Club Sports Podcast with Mike and Lee. In this week's episode, we welcome Jim Whitmer to the show. Jim's the owner of the Cutting Edge Ice Academy and provides an interesting perspective on the impact of the pandemic on club hockey and the growth of the sport in the New Jersey area and United States in general. Lee, I thought Jim was an excellent guest, really interesting perspective, and clearly an expert in his field, his sport, and his program. Yeah, and for somebody like myself who doesn't know very much about, you know, self-admittedly, doesn't know much about hockey, especially club hockey, great to have an expert on to, to teach us a little bit and to just keep us up to date with what's going on with club hockey. Yeah, I, you know, it's interesting because the more Jim talked, the more I wanted to get into the X's and the O's of, of hockey because that's a sport I really do love and just don't have any personal experience playing. But it's a great sport, and it clearly requires an extra level of dedication from their coaches and athletes and people like Jim running those programs. No doubt about it. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Club Sports Podcast. Please subscribe to the show and enjoy the episode. Enjoy the show. Thanks for coming on tonight, Jim. Yeah, let's start there. How you doing? I'm doing all right. Busy, yeah. busy, but uh, busy but good. How about you guys? We're hanging in. Is the rink back open now? It is. We opened a few weeks ago. That's great. And very busy, but limited numbers. Are teams running again also or not yet? Uh, some teams are running. I think they're doing some practices and stuff. There's some spring slash summer tournament teams that are looking to find tournaments and stuff like that in certain states and stuff. So it's all a very tentative and interesting area. So yeah, you know, that's where we've been starting this podcast is we've had a several different sports on. We had the head of USSA baseball and softball on. We had an AAU basketball coach on, a club baseball coach. And we've sort of just been focusing these first conversations on how has the shutdown and the pandemic impacted the program and how is reopening either what did you envision it being or how has it been going for you? We run a club softball program. So we're, okay. we're right in the thick of it ourselves. Yeah, I think we, we have two things. With Cutting Edge, we have training for a lot of teams, and we have also our internal teams as well. So I think there's a lot of pent-up demand for people. Kids, for the most part, especially serious hockey players, when I say serious, fucking 8 to 16-year-olds that, that are used to skating four, five, six times a week. Yeah. And they've been off the ice for plus months so everyone's sort of looking to get back into some sort of group so jim how do you balance that like because we've this is what our sort of internal struggle has been how do you balance that desire for kids to want to get back on the ice and parent written families too right because they yep. oh, absolutely. Many, many of them are dying to get back out there too and as a business right as an organization how do you guys balance that desire to just want to get everybody out there you know back to kind of the old ways but at the same time you know, do it in this new way with guidelines and, you know, how are you guys structuring that and, and, you know, doing it your way? Uh, we start off pretty slowly. We just did private lessons. That was one-on-one or one-on-two if they were family kind of thing. So it was very simple and relatively yeah, that's easy, safe. easy to stay distance, right? Yeah, exactly. Because I do lessons on the baseball and softball side. And whenever yeah. that environment is very, very safe, I keep my distance as best as I can. I wear a mask and that's easy, but it's like, you know, I don't mean to cut in, but it's like the practices that we've all are accustomed to, right? I'm sure you have multiple teams going at once. For us, that's now what's the big difference is. So for know. our rink, which is a two-thirds size rink, we've been limiting groups to eight kids. So eight skaters on the ice, which is tons. Tons of room for everyone. I think 
and then we don't have any groups back to back. So we've been like small group and then a private lesson series. Okay. And a small group, private lesson series. It's more of a flow of, flow of people into the building and everyone's pretty good about wearing a mask when they need to and temperature checks and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, so, from a coach's standpoint, it's really got to change the way, I mean, if you're trying to prepare teams to play and you can only have eight kids out on the ice, I mean, my, my experience in hockey is limited to street hockey, but I know enough to know that that's tough to run a yeah, practice with eight kids. Yeah, right now we're sort of easing our way into it for the bigger rinks, we generally have 20 or 25 kids on the ice. Okay. So you can get a full team out there, and there tends to be there's a lot there's lots of space on a big rink for 20, 25 because because you're used to having 40, 50 kids out there sometimes for practices, little kids sometimes 60, 70, 80. Sure. sure. So I think everyone's just dipping their toe in right now, and I think in our area, I think capacity is recommended at 25 percent from the state. We're moving in the right direction. And I think the important thing is sort of get kids on the ice and back to skating, back to moving. And even though you only have sort of eight kids on at once, most of hockey, most of most of training should still be skill-based. Okay. So they're still getting their skills, they're still getting their repetitions in. And they're probably getting the repetitions in a, in a, in a better quality manner. I, sure. I've noticed you guys, you guys did some virtual stuff in the off season, right? Yeah, we, we tried that. We tried, Try, first, right? Yeah. Yeah. We tried doing first some hockey knowledge virtuals. So like chalk talks? Yeah, chalk talks, system work, positioning, that kind of stuff. But that kids weren't very attuned to that. And then we sort of pivoted to some skill stuff like stick handling and shooting. And there was a number of kids who loved those kind of things. And we had some smaller group stuff too. So we kind of wanted to just remain engaged with all the kids in our groups. And the other thing we did, we actually did a number of webinars different coaches and talking about different things, whether it's pre-game, pre-game training or rising sports going to full ice for the first time. So those tended to be very, very popular with sort of our client base. We probably had between 60 and hundred kids for each of them. I love the names of your like youth levels too, right? I mean, I'm learning more about this, but you got squirts, okay. right? You got peewees. Definitely, midgets. Yeah, midgets. We've definitely better names than, you know, 8U, 10U, 12U. Yeah, when we, call our te- when we call our team the midgets, it's just based on size. It's not based on their <laughs> rankings right. at and all. And typically there's an email that comes following. So <laughs> yeah, <sure> exactly. Right. <laughs> well, USA Hockey is moving to the 10U, 12U, yeah. 13U thing. I think, I think in a few years – those names will probably go to by the wayside. So now New Jersey's not yet open for you guys to actually be playing games. You have to travel out of state if you want to find those tournaments. That's not clear. There's no. I think you can have some smaller games. Okay. Um, I don't think you can have. I don't think it's wise. Probably not recommended right now in New Jersey to do full games. But I know some tournaments are going to start in Jersey next weekend. So okay. It's close. It's like it's right around the corner. And I know, yeah, some of the rinks have been open four, five, six, seven weeks now. And kids have been skating for a while. And kids are just anxious and parents probably. Yeah. Parents more so even to see their kids play as opposed to just practice. Do you see this having a long-term impact on the sport? Not even necessarily your program, but is this going to change the way club hockey is organized, the way it's run? We're seeing some of those effects at the softball level number of games that are played each day, how many teams are entered in these tournaments, things like that. I don't think there'll be too much of a difference longer term. Depends on how long this 
last, so to speak. Um, I think this year may be significantly affected. I think we'll probably do a lot more local games, local tournaments, just within sort of whatever that bubble is that's good states right now, so to speak. New York, New Jersey, that kind of stuff. And that bubble will grow or shrink depending on how everything is what's happening in various yeah. states. I think USA Hockey's recommendation, we probably play too many games as it is. So this probably gets back to where they would like to be of like a three or four to one practice to game ratio. Well, I was just going to jump in there, Jim, because we actually have a lot of, not a lot, but there are a bunch of girls who have played in our program who are hockey players. And it's funny because you talk about, you know, they need to know our schedule and so far in advance in order for them to play. And most of them, hockey is their primary sport. Yeah. Um, and they need to know our schedules well in advance in order for them to figure out if they can make the commitment or not. And we're talking about, you know, summer leading into the fall. And which is odd because, you know, you think hockey and you're only thinking winter, right? You're thinking, you know, with the, line with yeah. the NHL. That's what we're thinking. I know that's yeah. not what you're thinking. But right? all so, year round is every, pretty much every sport is all year round, I think. Yeah. That's you have very winter true. training in baseball. And you have yeah, absolutely. Summer, yeah. It's funny, though. I mean, it's all year round. And, but the commitment with hockey also seems like there's more travel, from what I gather from a lot of our girls who play. But so here we are in the summer. Where are you in your schedule right now? You know, because this happened to us. I mean, we got fortunate that things, you know, that we were allowed to play. Uh, had this yeah. been two months later or had this had the the real peak of this happen now, our entire, you know, this was this is really our prime time, right? Yeah. Where are you guys at in your schedule? Is this your busy season right now? No, summer tends to be sort of our off season or prepping for the season. There's a lot of kids who play summer hockey or spring hockey for our teams. We generally put them in one or two tournaments throughout the summer just to see what the new team looks like, get them used to each other, get them to gel a little bit. In terms of hockey, you have probably the more serious players play generally all year round. So they'll play on their regular team from September through February, March, April, and then they'll be on various spring teams or different organizations throughout the spring and summer. Where and that could be more traveling, like up to Toronto or it could be Minnesota or it could be anywhere where there's tournaments and games and that kind of stuff. And they get to play with different kids. And sometimes those are higher caliber tournaments and higher caliber players. But from what I, generally speaking, when you're talking, you look at hockey as a 12-month sport, there's a lot of games for many of these teams from September through February. Like some teams play 60, 70, 80 games. It's a lot of games. Uh, yeah, it's probably too many, but it's, it's a lot of games. In my view, the off-season – and you focus on your own skills, what you need to work on, whether it's your skating, shooting, passing, um, stuff. Because this during the season you don't have don't have much time to do that. When you you have your own team practices, and then you have your games on the weekends or games whenever they're played, and there's not much time to focus on your own training. You're focused on your team. So, in my personal opinion, the off season is when you focus on sort of the skills that you want to strengthen, the skills you want to fix where you have deficits potentially. And same, it sort of mirrors the guys in the NHL because that's what they do in the offseason. They're they're doing their strength training programs and they're they're working with various skills guys to work on things that they don't get a chance to work on. Through. That's one of the things we've talked to our, especially our high school age girls during this this quarantine was this is an opportunity for some of those fringe players yep. to really close the gap on kids who maybe aren't working as hard. Right? How badly do you want this? How much are you working on those individual skills where maybe you don't have the time 
right. uh, during the season, during your typical calendar year, because you are involved in so many teams. Kids are sitting on their couches. Kids are doing nothing. And are you the one in the backyard? Are you the one shooting? Are you the one passing? Are you hitting off the tee? Now's the time for you to really close the gap in that individual landscape a little bit. Absolutely. We, you can see it on the ice now, too, when the kids come back. The ones who've been working on their shots, they're jumping off their stick. And it might have been a week before, but now it's some kids have rockets now because they spent every day taking 200, 300 shots at the driveway or wherever it was. Some have done more stick gambling, that kind of stuff. But Or others, others I know one girl on our on my daughter's team, she was, she's been cycling, running, shooting, and rollerblading. And she's just gotten way more athletic in the last three months. So she's taken that time to say, hey, I want, I want to be a bit more serious about this and got herself in much better condition, which is great. It's interesting. I feel like hockey, especially club hockey, has got to be one of those sports where it requires, and we've noticed this in the players who play hockey in our program, it requires a different level of commitment than other sports, right? You're talking about ice time before the sun's up and, I mean, huge travel commitment, 60, 70 games. And, yeah, few- and financially, truthfully, it sounds from a family side, it's, it's got to be a big commitment as well, right? Because hockey cannot be an, an inexpensive sport to play. No, it's not. It's probably one of the more expensive ones, and it generally has a lot of crazy parents. So it's, <laughs> <laughs> that's not just that's not yeah. just hockey. No, Jim. I agree. Don't worry about I agree. <laughs> no, but they they're willing to like. I I have a phrase in the office somewhere. It says, "Oh, we have a free weekend." Said no hockey parent ever. So that's hysterical. <laughs> there could be a correlation for the more you play pay for your club sport, the crazier you're allowed to be. You know. Yeah. yeah, there's some areas of the country where it's done on a local basis, and it's not nearly as expensive. Like if you take a look at Minnesota, a lot of those rinks are just owned locally. You have to play for the local team and that kind of stuff. And those kids are also lot- born with skates on, right? I mean, yeah. Well, they're they're skating on ponds for the winter and that kind of stuff. But I got a funny feeling you're going to see in the next five to 10 years, a ton of kids coming out of the New York metro area. And just they're just going to say, wow, look at all these kids, like whether it's National Development Program or NHL or that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think that's really exciting. As a, I've always been a hockey fan, but this is right. This is not Northeast. It's not prime hockey territory. No, um, it's not Minnesota. It's not Mass. It's right. I, I but. Mean, Flip side, as you're talking, this is a relatively wealthy area compared to the rest of the country. So if you're talking training and the additional costs of going to tournaments and getting the private coaches and that kind of stuff, a lot of parents in this area can afford that more so than some other parts of the country. Sure. I think it's great, though, because I think, right, just like at the NHL level, right, you hear and people are always talking about where's that next American-born great hockey player coming from? And I think the Northeast, the New Jersey, New York metropolitan area could probably relate a little bit in terms of, I, I think this area would, would love to latch on to some homegrown New York, New Jersey talent that really excels. Well, maybe Johnny Goudreau up in Calgary, who's like one of the top 10 forwards in the NHL, maybe top five, depending on how he's playing. And then, yeah, you're going to see a lot more come out just by, like, I know... At the U, at the 2005 level, there's seven or eight kids in the area ranked in the top like 16. Wow, country. So, and they're, and I've seen someone play over the last few months, skate, and they're off the chart. Mm. Yeah. Are you seeing that across the board now because things have become more, you know, you take lessons and they become more, uh, you're, you know, these kids are playing year round. 
from the time you were growing up, Jim, have you seen that? Because in baseball, I mean, the kids now, there's no matter, they are so much better than the kids when I was growing up as a whole. Are you seeing that now? Oh, absolutely. Uh, there's there's so no much better. comparison. Yeah. No comparison. Right. Like you could probably have 14 year olds today that would thrive in the NHL 40 years ago right. watching the video and stuff like that. Different, different technology, like different sticks, different sure. skates, and all that kind of stuff. But kids these days are putting the effort into training. Like you had, obviously, been great to come up and, and like Wayne Gretzky is famous for being out on the ice from four o'clock after school to 11 o'clock. Parents dragged him in. He was like five years old. So part of it is, part of it is time on ice. It's the time you put in, but it's also like focused time on ice. Like because you're out there on the ice does not mean you're, you're advancing yourself. You need that focus training as well. That doesn't necessarily mean like one-on-one with the coach, but it could be could be goofing around with the puck, trying to move between different pucks and ideas, and flipping up into the air and all kind of. And, and you see the the stick skills of some of these kids is like ridiculous. Yeah, we talk all the time Instagram about too. the difference yeah. between working hard and working smart. Yep. Right, and you you well, need to be able to work smart and fun. Work fun too. Like if you're working fun, then it's not really working, and all of a sudden you spend three hours goofing around with the puck and been working on it, but you don't realize you've been working on it. So right. it's not really work. So now in terms of your program, so I've, I've been doing just a little bit of research to educate myself before you came on. It looks like club hockey is broken up into tiers. Yeah. We are not familiar on the softball side of things in terms of that organization. What tier are, uh, is your program, your internal teams? And then, cause it looks like you encourage your players to then advance tiers Right. So just a quick, quick chat. Like there in USA hockey is tier one, which is sort of your triple A players. They probably travel more, generally spend more time on the ice. Then you have your tier two, which is next down. They, they still, they still travel hockey. Not as serious a commitment. It's maybe two practices a week in two games versus three to four practices a week in, 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 in two games or three games or tournaments six times year kind of thing and then you have your house league which is just your kids going out and playing fun which you don't see that much of in this area like i know in parts of canada there's always like housing players and stuff like that and then our teams are actually independent so we tend to play where the kids skill level is so as an independent team you're not sort of you're not in a specific league and you're stuck with just playing these these teams so we we try to focus our game matchups and skill matchups against other teams where the benefits of uh, playing would be best. Like does no anyone, no one any good when you win nine, nothing or you lose nine, nothing. Right. So if you could ever have every game, that's four, three and be 500 in the year, kids will probably develop way better, way faster than either winning all your games or losing all your games mismatched. Our teams are independent. And basically our thought is at cutting edge and the King Cobras is if you're a tier two player and you want to make it into that tier one level, you have to do something a little bit different than just continue to play tier two because every week you're getting one hour less of ice time or hour and a half less ice time each week. And that cumulative effect catches up. So in order for you to like rocket yourself forward, you've got to do something different. So in our program, we spend a lot of times getting kids on the ice, whether it's in our various clinics and, and stuff or in the team practices and three on threes and, and that kind of stuff just to get them on the ice with professional coaches, seeing different coaches, seeing different drills, and just try to accelerate their learning curve. So is your goal to have 
your goal is to have as many of your players in the King Cobra program graduate and progress to that tier one program as, as they want to, as many of them who want to, yeah, your goal is to get them there. Every, every, every kid has their own sort of what they want to do. A lot of kids, they want them, they want to get good enough so they can play on a decent high school hockey team. Okay. That, so it may not be, Oh, I want to play tier one and try to get into D one college. It may be, I want to get good enough so I can actually be on, on the varsity hockey team and, and be part of my community that way. Other kids, it's, they just want to play on the team. It's fun. Uh, the, our program is set up. So it's a weekend model. So most of our stuff is Friday, Saturdays and Sundays. So it leaves the other four days of the week for the most part um, open for the kids to pursue other activities or put more effort into school or do the piano or play another sport, whether it's baseball, softball, something like sure. that too. So I wouldn't say every kid's desire is to jump to that tier one, but, but a lot of kids want to, and a lot of parents want their kids to be playing at the highest level, especially if they're putting that much time and effort into it. Sure. And in hockey, especially it, it's a marathon. So it's not like, it's not a sprint. So it takes years and years to develop, develop players. And, and from, from a boy's perspective, you really don't know what kind of player you're going to have until they go through puberty and see how strong they get. Right. At that point, they have to take the mantle on themselves and say, hey, I want to be a player. And put the Are you guys affiliated with specific tier one teams or you're just sort of helping that recruiting process wherever they have an opportunity? Not affiliated with anyone in particular. In our area, it's – it's. I didn't mean to put you on the spot there. No, there's, there's, <laughs> there's a fair number of tier one teams in the area. There's some that are in the uh, main leagues and stuff, and there's a few other teams in the area that are that play on a more independent schedule or in, in a – in not the main AAA league. So every kid needs like to find a home. Sometimes you're going to, you don't want to say a lesser AAA program, but there's some, there's some programs that focus on, on the high level players at different ages. Like if you take a look at the North Jersey avalanche, they put a tremendous amount of focus on, on their teams at the 15 U and up age levels. And I think last few years, I think they sent three teams to that, both nationals into those age groups. So, but they, they put a serious focus on finding the top kids. And a lot of those kids are graduating to D1 colleges or, or the uh, juniors and stuff like that. So every organization is different. Every organization has their goals. Other organizations are looking to get their, their players into prep schools um, as opposed to national programs. So there's, there's something for everyone out there, I think, in hockey. It's kind of nice that, like, it seems in the hockey world, it doesn't seem like every organization is trying to do everything great. I mean, and Mike and I talk about this within softball. There are certain programs within softball, in baseball, for example, they are national programs. I mean, if you, if you know, not that other organizations can't do it, but these are geared for getting you to California, Colorado, all over the country. And that's what they're trying to do, right? Maybe their focus isn't on the 10 to 12 level, but their focus is on that 18U, 16U high school kid who wants to go play Division One like everybody else, you know, softball, and they and they are this is what they want to do, it, you know. But at the same time, where they're not focusing on is the 10-year-olds and the 12-year-olds and the 14-year-olds, and our programs evolving and changing to where, our, you know, at first, you know, our goal was to just. And really, our, our goal is to get everybody ready for their first step, which is the first big step, which is, hey, let's just make our high school team. Like, step one, before you go to University of Arizona, like, make <laughs> freshman high school team. 
You'd be surprised, uh, Jim, how many of our players don't make that freshman team and still think they're going to the University of Arizona. Yeah. But, oh, it, but Michael Jordan, though, so. <laughs> but it, it seems like for us, you know, for our world, you have to offer a little bit of everything because you can't just be that team that doesn't do – you know, the national stuff, because then you got a 12 year old says, well, we want to play University of Arizona. So we need to find a program early that's going to get us to Arizona. So we got to do this. It seems like in hockey, because I've been doing some research too, that it's like there are organizations that focus solely on this, right? Skill training, you know, youth development and those early stages, you know, so do you see that there are other programs, like, so there are programs out there that their single focus is to get you to prep school or to get you to college. Do they still focus on the youth development or the younger side of things? Yeah. Well, prep school, you're, they're looking at like the nine, 10, 11, 12 to 14 year olds getting into high school. There. High school. Right. Um, like most of our, most of the stuff we do at a cutting edge is actually training. So it's not, um, not necessarily internal teams. We're kind of like, I want to say the Switzerland of the uh, <laughs> hockey world. We, we have, tr we have players from literally all the top programs come train at cutting edge. So they're coming to get that extra training, whether it's private lessons or whether it's, whether it's goalie training or whether it's power skating or stick handling or other skills, elite skills, whether it's overspeed training. So we have kids from anywhere from an hour and a half to two hours away drive, come come train with our coaches at cutting edge. So each of the programs has sort of like their games, their teams or whatever. So that's, that's one thing just to play hockey. That's fun. Um, and then it's a crap shoot depending on how good the coaches are in each of those each year. Like you may get a it's great coach. Coaching. It's all about yeah. the coaching. Yep. If you get a great coach, you're going to have a great year. If you get a weak coach, it's going to be hard to develop. So you, ha I think, I think people and parents have to take that development into their own hands. And we, we provide sort of a lot of those opportunities um, for those kids to get on the ice with good coaches, with professional training, with one-on-one -on -one lessons, with small groups. See a lot of those. It's kind of, we kind of fill that gap of what they're not getting at their regular program. They, they're able to get with us or hopefully get with us. We try to find those gaps and try to find those areas where we can help enhance those players to meet their goals. And it could be, could be as much as a B player wanting to play A or double A. And it could be as much as a double A player wanting to make that leap into triple A. So not just in our internal program, but like our main, our main job is like helping train these kids. One, we want the kids to get good. And two, we want them to have, they don't enjoy the game. Everyone's, as the saying goes, everyone's ends up in beer. Yeah. So. <laughs> Especially Mike, as you can tell by the only leagues I'm on. How's how's the landscape of club hockey changed in the last 10, 15 years? So it was it was Corey Robinson who put me in touch with you. Yeah. Uh, and I know Corey well and I know his roots and his blood's hockey all the way through. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think well, one, you're seeing a lot more players, especially in this area. Um, there's a proliferation of programs. There's more and more people, whether it's it's Tier one, tier two, or independent. There's more organizations out there providing opportunities for kids. I think the other big thing you're seeing is uh, girls' hockey growing immensely. I think it's, I think I read somewhere that's the fastest growing sport in North America. Wow! So you have that whole side of of the girls' side that's that's growing rapidly, and kids are having kids are enjoying the sport, loving the sport, finding a passion for it. I think there's a lot more 
teams. I think there's a lot more kids playing. Um, some people will say that the AAA is watered down because there's so many, so many kids. But I think teams, yeah. yeah, but I think everyone needs to just just play. Um, I think one of the hallmarks in Minnesota, you have to sort of play for your organization or your area. So there's more kids in who are 16 year olds in Minnesota who think they're going to the NHL than anywhere else in the world because they've been playing with their buddies the whole time and they haven't been saying, oh, at age nine, you're not good enough to play AAA. They just keep playing hockey, keep playing hockey, and then, then all of a sudden, okay, they get a passion when they're 15 or 16 and they become like strong and fast and, and it's so funny because I, and I think it's such a good topic of conversation and lesson for our audience, which is, look, Lee and I, as much as Corey's blood is in hockey, ours is most definitely not. And we're just learning about this as we go here. But the challenges and the dynamics that we're talking about in regards to club hockey are the exact same conversations that we had with Jeff Kittle about softball and baseball or about with, you know, with the, Perry Safey about basketball, which is things like the organizations might be different and the way the club sports are organized may be different, but in terms of watered down high levels. And at the same time, on one hand, we feel people feel like the, the levels are watered down and yet we're seeing better talent come out of those levels also, right? You're saying the perception is that AAA may be watered down. And at the same time, we started by saying, we're going to see more higher level talent coming out of this area than ever before. I don't think I don't personally think it's watered down. I think as many kids should be able to play at a high level as, as they can. Yeah. And and the more kids you actually have playing at those levels, the more chance you're going to have like great players come out of it. And you, you don't know you don't know what a ten year old's going to look like when they're seventeen. You have no idea. So that hockey especially is a long term sport. There are a lot of skills you develop between nine and twelve. Those are base skills, and your your body adapts to that. But twelve to 20 there's still so much more development and i i just i personally think like trying to say oh get at 11 years old you're not a triple a player like okay you're not a triple a player you're not a triple a player right now but that doesn't mean in three years you're not gonna be the one of the best kids on the ice so it's just a matter of finding an opportunity for that kid to play and keep enjoying the game because it's a fun game like all these sports are fun games and, yeah and they're good for the kids they're good for their mental aspect they're good for the teamwork so i think we just got to keep the kids playing when we're talking about the highest talented, the highest level kids, what do you feel is that peak age in terms of their development? Probably 15 to 17 years old. Okay. By then, they're already pretty skilled. And it's more of what are they doing? Because that, at that point, they got to start taking into account vice training, whether it's strength training, conditioning, that kind of stuff. At that point, they got to start figuring, okay, I'm gonna, I gotta, if I want to be serious about being an athlete and serious about the sport, I have to start taking my body seriously and, and what I put into my body. So I think up until age 13, 14, parents can keep their kids sort of in that, that straight and narrow. But once they get into that age, I think they've got to, they've got to develop a desire themselves and take, take up the mantle and care of themselves. And what's like, and we should have asked earlier, but uh, it's always fascinating to find out people's stories behind, um, you know, their businesses, their companies, you know, cause you know, and, and sort of your history with cutting edge, but how did you get involved with, with hockey? And you just give us a little bit of a background on you and, and kind of the history of cutting edge. Yeah. So I'm from Canada originally. So it's kind of a rite of passage when I was growing up, if you didn't play hockey, it was kind of strange <laughs> as a boy. And so I played a lot of serious hockey when I was a kid, broke my ankle when I was 17, uh, sort of like the end of my sort of aspirations, serious break. 
I had guys who I played with that went on in the NHL, played with or against. And then, so that I've always sort of played hockey, men's league, whatever, college and stuff like that. And then moved to New York, had kids eventually, got them into hockey. I had them training at Cutting Edge. I became a coach again. I, I had coached back in Canada for a number of years, baseball and hockey. I coached baseball for 13 years as well. And then I had my kids at training at Cutting Edge, and I had an opportunity to purchase the facility, uh, the business, and so I did. And just trying to grow the business ever since. So I, I bought Cutting Edge about two and a half years ago and, and added our own teams there. We probably crippled the number of kids we have coming through the facility training and just trying to make hockey better in this area. So as an owner, how do you kind of, when you go through something as something like, you know, this whole experience with coronavirus and COVID and we're still in it, but when that happens, I mean, how do you, how do you stay positive? How do you, you know, what was your viewpoint on things? Oh, that's tough. Well, the one positive thing, like I have one of my, one of my kids is a pretty good hockey player and she's very serious. So she would, she was still training every day there. So she would go on the ice two hours by herself, like working, working on various things. So I was still sort of at the rink every day, but there wasn't business running. Um, it's the luckiest kid in the world, by the way, Jim. That you have right, to and my wife tells her that. I, I, she tells her, like, there's probably eight kids in, in the U.S. that are out skating right now. So, yeah, so it, it was tough because I think the tougher thing was not knowing what was going to go on, what's going on. Because it was originally, okay, let's shut down for two weeks and see where we were, and then in a month and six weeks and didn't sort of hear what's happening. And so I think I think you just, it's a long-term endeavor too for hockey. And I'm, I know when we first started getting the kids back on the ice, you could see like smiles. It was more, it was more about their mental health than anything else. They got, they got to do the thing they love. They got to play a little bit. They got to skate and get exercise. So when you see that, you know, you, you kind of say, okay, this is for the longer term kind of thing. So it's like, okay, we'll do our best to do what we can for the kids. And that's when we started sort of some of the virtual virtual lessons that you that we were talking about earlier. And we did some of the webinars and tried to keep kids engaged and that kind of stuff. And coaches somewhat engaged and sort of keep everyone thinking about it and, and hoping things would eventually come around. And they are, but we still have a ways to go. Hopefully a vaccine comes and... And yeah, there's still a lot of question marks for all of us, you know, yeah, exactly. all the people in this, in this industry. And then it brings up the whole high school debate and what sports and athletics is going to look like. Right. Well, there'll be yeah. high school hockey, there's right? Be I high mean, school hockey. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think even we're trying to contemplate, like, let's try to back end whatever tournaments and stuff we're going to do. Like, let's try to push back into January, February, March, stuff we may have done in October and November. The only saving grace in all this is generally that the kids have not been getting sick, like the adults right. have or the, especially the very older adults, I think this would, the nightmare would be much worse in young kids at a similar rate as say an 80 year old. Yeah, no. And I think, I, I think you're right. You know, as you talk about, you know, we're seeing the same effects and impacts with our kids getting back out on the field in terms of being with their friends and throwing the ball around and absolutely get add some sense of normalcy to everybody involved, even though it, might look a little less normal than what we're used to. Just being out there uh, is helpful for all of us. And Absolutely. First steps. It's like kids have been quarantined for months, so and they need that social. They need to see their friends. They need they need to be draping off their buddies, and you know what I mean. Yeah. So this is the first step toward getting it. And the other thing is they need to be active. Like I don't know how many kids were like sitting either playing Xbox or watching TikTok, doing literally nothing all day. 
Yeah. Um, and just to get out there and start being active, get the blood flowing, and whether it's La- whatever sport it is, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Last question I have out of my own personal interest is just so you talked briefly about the level of talent in the tri-state area uh, increasing. Is USA hockey, is it, do you see it catching up? Especially, I mean, you know, you've been on the other side. You've been where hockey's at its largest. Is it catching up? Do you feel that way? Or is it still very much an international sport over an American sport? Well, I think it'll always be, well, from my perspective, it'll always be a Canadian sport first. But I think the U.S. is definitely catching up. Um, about 10, just over 10 years ago, they did a serious study into what's the best way to train kids. And they came up with a blueprint, which, which they're using now. And you see the training, you see the development. They're trying to keep more kids in hockey. And I think recently, U.S. has more hockey players in Canada now, in terms wow. of people playing and kids playing and that kind of stuff. So part of it's a numbers game, if anything. Like, you have 2 million people playing versus 1.5 million playing. You're probably going to find more people but they're also doing a great job of training the coaches great job of like telling them what you should focus on and 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 it's more about skill development with kids at age because you don't need to learn about systems when you're 10 years old or 12 years old not going to do any good most coaches most college coaches will tell you i can teach you a system in 20 minutes how good can you skate how good can you pass How, how good is your edge work like that kind of stuff so like usa hockey long term gonna be a beast all right like, even you last year a, saw you just put a smile on mike's face That's it. yeah <laughs> look i wish i were more knowledgeable at the sport i love uh and you know 30 years ago in new jersey growing up here in fairlawn it was never even on my radar as a as a as a young athlete uh, it wasn't something my parents knew about to sign me up for or anything like that yeah. but it is a uh, it's an outstanding sport for sure well one a local kid here um brandon crowley drafted by the Rangers. He's on, he's in the bubble team now uh, from Glenrock, New Jersey. So he's one of the nine defensemen the Rangers have in the bubble up in, up in Canada for the playoffs. So kind of cool. No, that's very cool. That's very cool. Jim, we really appreciate you coming on tonight. Um, Absolutely. Thank you, Jim. Yeah. Really interesting. Best of luck to the entire facility and all you guys too. And And hopefully, uh, hopefully things continue to get more normal. Yes. Yeah, definitely. I think we should plan on catching up at, in a few months, right? And, and kind of yeah, see, absolutely. Yeah, let's do a, a, a happy look back at things. Sounds great. All right, Jim. Thanks so much. Thanks, yep. Jim. All right, take, take care. care. For Lee Rubin, I'm Mike Rosenblum. Thanks for listening to the Club Sports Podcast. Be sure to click and subscribe to the show and check us out over on Twitter and Instagram at, at Club Sports Podcast. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next time.